Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On the first segment of today's show, we'll be talking all about Loving Vincent, a new animated film from directors Dorote Kobiela and Hugh Welchman that gives the Citizen Kane treatment to the life of Dutch post-impressionist painter Vincent van Gogh. Through a series of flashbacks and secondhand stories, we see the rise and fall of the troubled and inspired life of this eccentric painter, focusing in on the final days of his life in the rural French town of Auvers. Unlike most animated films, this story is composed of tens of thousands of hand-drawn oil paintings by over 100 contributing artists, all simulating the heavy brushstrokes and ebullient style of the movie's namesake. On the second segment of the show, I'll be joined by Lucy McClure, Debbie Hess, and Trish Clark to talk about the Nasty Women Film Event, a screening night of locally made feminist films that will be taking place at the Eli Center of Contemporary Art on Election Day next Tuesday in honor of, or perhaps in defiance of, the anniversary of Donald Trump's election as president. But first, I'm very happy to welcome back to the show Alan Appel and Lucy Gelman. Hey, Alan is a staff writer for the New Haven Independent. Hello, Lucy. <laughs> oh, she I couldn't, was so oh, excited. So ex- and well, Lucy the Gelman, last time you two saw well, you've each other? Heard, oh, not, <laughs> not in about ages. 40 episodes. <laughs> um, Lucy is the editor of the Arts Paper for the Arts Council of Greater New Haven. Welcome back to the show. It's such a pleasure to have you two on. Hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. <laughs> More soberly, she said. Uh, okay, so... Loving Vincent tells the story of Armand Roulan. Oh, can we get a French pronunciation of that last name? That was pretty good. Perfect. Trébon. <laughs> Played by Douglas Booth, the son of a French postman in late 19th century Paris, who's been corralled by his father into delivering a two-year-old letter written by the recently deceased painter Vincent Van Gogh and addressed to Van Gogh's beloved brother and sponsor, Theo. A brooding young man in a bright yellow coat, Roulan finds that his journey as a postman quickly becomes that of an amateur sleuth as he travels to the rural French town of Auvers to interview the townspeople who knew Van Gogh in the final days of his life. At the center of his quest is the question of how Van Gogh died. Was he murdered? Did he kill himself? Was he double-crossed? And what is to become of his art? Illustrated by over 150 artists who hand-painted 65,000 oil paintings, Loving Vincent is an animated movie that takes live-action performances and translates them into the brushwork, colors, and impasto style of Van Gogh's most famous paintings, set in motion to tell the movie's story. Throughout the movie, the audience sees explicit allusions to paintings like Starry Night, The Bedroom, The Night Cafe, and Wheat Field with Crows, while the characters themselves come straight from Van Gogh's many portraits— including postman Joseph Roulan, Dr. Paul Gachet, and Van Gogh himself. So, Lucy, before your career as a journalist, you spent quite a few years studying art history, and in fact, as the editor of the arts paper, you're still uh, keeping that arts thinking alive. Uh, This movie, so steeped in the style and texture of one of the world's most famous artists, has been touted as the world's first oil-painted movie. Mm. So my question for you is, did the art history buff in you relish such attention to stylistic detail? Or did you find the movie's visual originality out of balance with its plots more familiar whodunit murder mystery? Well, I think those are actually two different questions, Tom. Um, so I, uh, I, I will say for the art historian in me, I was actually very interested in how the movie had been executed from a stylistic point of view. And I was really excited by it and by, and by the style. But then um, as, as far as plot, I felt that it didn't work as a film to the art's detriment. Um, so I, I do think this was a movie where if there needs to be a, a movie about Van Gogh, and arguably there need to be many about Van Gogh, um, this this sort of is the style that we've all been waiting for. 
And yet it was totally botched by by the plot, by the acting, and by the fact that, frankly, it wasn't a short. So this everything could have been done in 10 minutes without words. Alan, you've been on the art beat for the New Haven Independent for some time, uh, covering uh, gallery openings, exhibitions, uh, visual art, and writing movie reviews for the indie. Um, and you know, I, I was looking. I was, we were talking before the show about how one of my first movie reviews for the Independent was of Mr. Turner, uh, the Mike Lee film about the 19th century British impressionist painter J. M. W. Turner. And in that article, I, I found a link to a, a film critic's kind of catechism on what makes for a good biopic. And one of one of those rules that he thinks filmmakers should follow is find a style that fits the art of the artist being talked about. So if you present a movie that is, you know, the kind of most bland, banal, ordinary visual representation of a spectacular artist, you're missing something fundamental to who that artist was and his impact on the audience. So clearly, this movie, Loving Vincent, has a very strong visual style. How did it work for you in the context of the story and just as its own work of visual art? Well, I was really kind of shocked by what I walked into. Uh, I think I got there just a few minutes late and I, Mm. you know, I wasn't sure what I was looking at at all. And then, um, I kind of grew dizzy, uh, uh, physically dizzy, which, you know, you you don't often have visceral responses to movies or uh, visual dizzy responses because the, the, uh, I guess we should explain to those who haven't seen the film that you, you, you see everything in the movie as if it were, a starry night or Dr. Uh, Ga- uh, you know, the portrait of Dr. Geshe, all the colors are not only there and bright, the, uh, it, it, the entire movie is, it's, it's as if it's one continuous or um, a, a serial uh, one after the other paintings of Van Gogh. And um, after the novelty of it, I said to myself, what's going on mm. here? Why do this? What's the value added? Uh, especially since the mystery of Van Gogh's death, um, uh, you know, has, I mean, their websites all about this. This has been, uh, this is, had reached the point in uh, 2011. It, I, I was put in mind of a 60 minutes, uh, a segment, which was based on, um, uh, an, an extensive book, uh, you know, with forensic scientists, uh, analyzing, um, uh, the wound, uh, which is a big part of the movie's plot that this could this have been or uh, uh, in self-inflicted. So I guess um, I, I guess I was uh, wondering w- what's the value added here, and um, the the artist. It's a kind of it seems to be just apropos of your question of Mike Lee's uh, Mr. Turner. Uh, well, that was a kind of biopic of the artist's um, uh, his process, his way of. Of, of of working um this movie is just a biopic of the end of uh, just one segment of um van gogh's life but the point of it is that it seems to suggest that this artist saw everything uh, uh as if it were his paintings as if daily life was seen in only huge bright colors uh and i you know that doesn't seem to be true uh, I don't think to the um, to to the way artists do their work, and um, so I thought it was con- I thought it was confusing, especially since the ma- the, the material relating to the to the mystery of, of Van Gogh's death um, is uh, w- well worn territory. So I, you know, I I, I I found myself staying with it, but um, when I explained it to my wife, who I mean, she, she uh, 
most of my creds for being able to talk <laughs> about art come through marriage. She said, why do something like that? Especially given the fact, as you pointed out in your intro, this is a labor of love of seven to 10 years. Um, these are people who... Right, hundreds of artists. I think 5,000 artists applied to work on this project, right. 65,000 paintings. I mean, this and is clearly a, a movie of great a, technical accomplishment. It's a great um, technical accomplishment, but to what end? And I think at the end of the movie, maybe the explanation is, they say, Lucy, you could comment on this, they say, uh, uh, you know, what happened to the different characters mm, after, mm-hmm. in real life? And of course, they say about Vincent Van Gogh, um, you know, he after his death... He was acclaimed almost immediately as the father of modern art, or something, which is patently not true. Right, well, Lucy. Let's <laughs> let's uh, let's right, unpack exactly. some of what what Alan just said because I I think this may be an interesting challenge for you because I, we we saw the movie together and I know your initial impression was uh, was less than positive. Negative. I, think pri- primi- I, w- I would say solidly, <laughs> solidly negative. negative. And I think primarily in response to the the narrative, the the murder mystery, the intense kind of obsession with the psychology of the artist, almost to the detriment of thinking about. Uh, his artistic process, as Alan was saying, this is, this is not a matter of how Vincent Van Gogh went about creating his art in the way that you know Mr. Turner is obsessed with the way that J.M. Ter- J.M.W. Turner's kind of brusque, gruff personality factors into his kind of meticulous and gentle, uh, his own meticulous and gentle um, way of creating paintings. But let's see if we can find that value add of the style of this movie, because I think that it does have something to say, something meaningful to say, besides just something beautiful to say about uh, who Van Gogh was. As both as an artist and in the context of this movie. So I'm going to throw out a few ideas sure. and I, I want to see if you have any others or if you agree. And, yeah. um, but I also, I think a lot of the value comes from what was inherent to Van Gogh's own work as opposed to what the filmmakers are layering on top of this. And one is the, the simulation of Van Gogh's brushwork. I mean, if, if, if anyone knows, um, has even the most fleeting familiarity with Van Gogh's work, I think the first co- thing that comes to mind are these thick, very layered, very kind of materially present um, brush strokes of paint, right? The paint just kind of accumulates on, on Van Gogh's paintings and they give it a roughness, the sense of kind of instability and of constant motion. And I think that for Van Gogh's work and in the context of this movie, you know, we are, Alan mentioned being dizzy watching this movie. And I yeah. think that that is the desired effect in terms of how the directors are interpreting Van Gogh's work and that he was dizzy by the world that he saw. He, his world was one constantly in flux, constantly destabilized, where there's very little differentiation between the characters in the foreground and the landscape in the background. This is a constant merging of like subjectivity with the world that is a very, you know, upsetting reality to experience for an artist so incredibly sensitive. And I think that the movie captures that pretty beautifully through its many, many uh, landscape kind of long shots, wide shots of characters just immersed in these very heavily brushstoked backgrounds. Do you have anything? Well, what do you think of that? And I don't know, what do you think of the movie's great attention to replicate the brushstroke style of Finga? Well, I, I think you and Alan are right in that there's something... Uh, specifically vertiginous about this movie and and the fact that you're always moving, you're constantly, constantly moving and you're meant to be dizzy. The one place I would push back a little bit is I don't think we are, um, I I don't think the intention is specifically for us to be seeing this um, and think this is the world through Van Gogh's eyes. Maybe that was the intention, maybe I'm off, but I think this is the world through the eyes of people who um love I don't even want to say loved Van Gogh they loved and were obsessed with the idea of Van Gogh and so that that trickles from the characters in the movie 
up to the people who were on the production team of of the film itself and and the artists who worked on this i think you know there's sort of this great specter of vincent van gogh that still hangs over the the art world you still learn about him in art history i don't think there will ever be a point um when he's not included in you know modern art 101 intro to modern art um and certainly you learn about him in your uh, French in the Belle Epoque classes and, and things like that. Um, but I I don't think this is a movie that ever went deep enough to be anything through Van Gogh's eyes. Alan, the, the idea of Van Gogh is very important to this movie's take on the artist. Be- I, I said that loving Van Gogh uh, or loving Vincent gives the Citizen Kane treatment to Vincent Van Gogh. <laughs> and by that, I mean, you know, this is primarily told through flashbacks and through secondhand stories uh, as interpreted by, you know, a kind of second, a, uh, um, a second rate sleuth. I mean, if we have Joseph Cotton's character trying to f- piece together the mystery of this, you know, fantastically larger than life man played by Orson Welles and Citizen Kane, here we have another kind of mythic artist if Kane was the quintessential american here we have like the quintessential suffering artist that this guy are trying to understand now the big difference and why this is not citizen Kane is that i felt like we learned almost nothing about vincent van gogh through this movie this only we this, learned nothing this begins and ends this begins and ends with the fascination of the long-suffering artist as a relatively stereotypical kind of modernist archetype I, but th- then again, some of the most beautiful images in the film, I found really did reflect, you know, what was so upsetting, maybe in Van Gogh's own representation of reality, in particular, the way that these really unseemly colors made their way into the faces of some of the characters. There's a particular shot of a close up of uh, Saoirse Ronan's Marguerite Gachet, who's the daughter of the doctor. And she she's described as porcelain and pale by one character at one point. But when we see her, you know, looking up at Vincent and her face fills the frame, her face is circled by this very dark blue and dark green it's almost like the color of bile <laughs> but the way that these you know and i think van gogh was known for that for letting these really dark unseemly colors infiltrate otherwise you know benign landscapes but what's the, what's the question well the question is like <laughs> did did the i did you get anything more than the idea of van gogh uh the obsession with the long-suffering artist out of this and did it did its attention to color um redeem it in any way, pro- provide it with some kind of insight into how this artist perceives reality. Well, I, I think that uh, the movie really does, does suffer from, from, um, you know, advancing the idea that you have to be, uh, you know, mentally unstable and potentially suicidal to be a great artist. I mean, it's the, it's the, it's the, the born under the sign of Saturn that all artists are, um, or the greatest ones uh, you know, teeter between stability and instability. It does advance that idea. Uh, and I think, frankly, that's one of the reasons why, why um, you know, in, in addition to the quality of his work, that Van Gogh, um, you know, remains a kind of central uh, figure when people talk about uh, art. So, um, uh, mm, you know, it's, it's, pro- it's, prob- it's problematical. I mean, um, Here's a technical question that may may be an answer to your question. Why why does the film, which is all in um, Van Gogh's bright colors, basically move to black and white whenever uh, um, uh, events from the the, the previous the, the time past 
uh, occurs. What's it's it's uh, what's going on there? Why would why would they do that? I, I couldn't understand that aesthetic choice. Well, I actually I think that for a movie obsessed with aesthetics, that was to me a pretty clear indication of uh, a pretty clumsy plot mechanic move. In yes, that the right. bl- black and white. Right. It's meant to distinguish the past from the present, right? It's also a lot crisper in black and white as opposed to the the muddled bright colors of the present, which I really didn't understand because if anything, this movie is meant to cast doubt upon our, you know, the many different pasts, the representations of the past that we're seeing. Uh, and I think it's, you know, getting to that uh, that Citizen Kane kind of archetype of how we tell stories, how we interpret other people's stories is that the black and white is just another way of jumping, you know, not into reality per se, but in someone else's telling of reality. But well, well, I, I found it pretty clumsy. And it no, also, well, right. it took away from what I found beautiful about the movie. Right. Um, Lucy, I want to ask you just, you know, yeah, sure. even independent of the movie, but maybe you can circle around to reflecting on it. I mean, when you think of Van Gogh, what is it that comes to mind? What does Van Gogh as an artist mean to you as someone who studied art history for a long time and uh, i don't know what what is he uh well let's just leave it there what what does he mean to you yeah i mean i actually think that ties into one of the things that was the most upsetting about this movie and sort of it's glossing over of major things to get straight to the question of how much did this artist suffer for his work is paris is painted very briefly as this um kind of scary nefarious place that van gogh didn't want to be and it Actually, it's a lot more complicated than that when you look at his work and how he is looking at the work of his colleagues. But also, this film did not talk at all about the relationship between Van Gogh and Gauguin, which was probably the most important thing for both of them. They both spent time in Arles. Um, and, and so that like, completely glosses over and, it. And at Pont-Avant. In, in Pont-Avant, yeah. yeah. And, and so if you're not... Um, if it, you know, kind of, if you haven't taken intro to modern art, which I would say is 98% of the American population, um, and and don't feel compelled to do so because it teaches a lot of dead white guys, you have no sense of that from the movie. And you have no sense of this great sort of, um, like, friendship and rival. I mean, they were kind of the original uh, modernist frenemies, if you will. And and we miss that completely. And that would have been so much more interesting in a so, movie. I, I hate to undercut you a little bit, but you actually, you arrived at the movie 10 minutes late. And in the movie's first 10 minutes, it did have, that is when the Kogan segment was in. Now, it, oh, it is very... Oh, yeah, I is, didn't see that it either. Is very, it, is very, <laughs> it is very brief. Darn. And, and it doesn't focus at all on Gauguin's art <laughs> and his influence on Van Gogh. It only, you know, it only is a very brief montage of Van Gogh and Gauguin getting in a fight and then Van Gogh going to a whorehouse and chopping off his ear and, and giving it to a prostitute. Um, Alan, but, I, I, well, unless... Well, what what is it you? But want to but say? they, I mean, the whole point of the Van Gogh and Gauguin's friendship is that the two of them, and you see this in art museums all around the country. There's a reason that their paintings are often displayed next to each other because the two of them were feeding off of each other's styles constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan, this is a movie that uh, ha- started with live actors reading their lines and performing their roles, and then was translated into the sixty-five thousand 
oil paintings. But you can still see, uh, at least if you know if you know what any of the actors look like in real life, the Chris O'Dowd or the the Douglas Booth, you can see their faces in the characters. Yes, that, 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 that was which, that's part of the visual interest, <laughs> which I found pretty I, I, fascinating. It, but what did you think of the acting in this movie? Any any performances jump out at you? Did you like the you know the lead sleuth or any of the various uh, kind of seductive women who may or may not be leading him astray? But all the acting has to be reduced to voice acting mm. because you really you, facial expressions as well. I mean, those is that right? That's what the painters were working off of. Yeah. They would watch, you know, the actors emote and then translate that into the context of a Van Gogh style painting. Yeah, I, 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 I think that, um, you know, I, what I was asking myself is, are there re- I, I, until I uh, read a little bit about this technique, what is it called, rotoscope or something like that? Uh, I, I was wondering. Just what is going on here? Are there real humans uh, who, are, who are essentially the first layer? That's the wonderful conundrum. It's a mix, right? It is. They're always. It starts with people in the it's, same way that the you know the Planet of the Apes movies, the more right. recent Planet of the Apes movies. Right. You have people actually acting out right. the monkey parts. Well, and this is interesting because when somebody is mentally unstable, sometimes, uh, and maybe this is part of also the way an artist uh, an artist looks at a um, at a bug or a leaf. There there is a kind of a disassociation a kind of separation between the object and the perception of the object is mm. a kind of um, a serration or something. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's almost, a, you know, you, you, you uh, so I, I, in answer to your question, I, I didn't think much about acting at all, although I like the voices very much. And I, although of course they're, they're supposed to be in um Auvers-sur-Oise, and they're all speaking with this Irish clipped, accent. Oh my clipped <laughs> Anglo-Irish bro, accent. Yeah. And I think, what is that about? Especially since it's a Polish production. Well, it was a, a Polish-British co-production. <laughs> yeah, I was but confused about, like, if, if they were I, trying I to that, make, like, Provencal accents be, like, Scottish brogues. I didn't know. I think that that's exactly it. I think they're they're taking on any associations that people have with Irish and Scottish accents with but I, countryside and rural <laughs> folks. But and, you know, apropos to your question, what could we have? What could? What did we learn, or what might we have learned, or what did this come close to to adding to uh, the story as story, apart from these very interesting technical things? And I was I was very touched by by um, the, the actress you mentioned who plays uh, Doctor Gachet's daughter, Saoirse Ronan. Ronan. Yeah, I think I think her. Um, Did you see Brooklyn? That film that came out. She I have was. Not, she. Yeah. She's quite a prom. I think she'll she, be familiar to a lot of uh, right, audience members. Right, and uh, and and she's the one who's sitting at the pianoforte or yes. the uh, the piano, or whatever. In the right, and, um, and it's by the way, that's a and, and of and that's a very subdued. If it's his palette is very subdued in that. Uh, I think she's wearing a kind of white white dress with just little little spots of colors that isn't crazy which is such a wonderful contrast with the bright yellow coat right. of our lead as right? if to, just as if exploding to, as if color. to say she understands me and or maybe she's a uh, the, the fact that she considered him a genius she conveys to our detective narrator maybe that's a force it was a force for his sanity so she isn't portrayed in these dramatic uh beautiful yet crazy colors i thought that could have been explored more uh uh and then apropos of your your comparison between uh, is it Joseph Cotton who's trying to figure out who who uh, Orson Welles is and Citizen Kane? Here you have this uh, kind of um, a lost semi drunk um, son of the postman who's our narrator. It, it's as if he's trying to figure out his own life through trying through trying to yeah. figure out uh, what became of Vincent Van Gogh. He's no artist himself, but he's lost. 
And um, his father, I think, has sent him on this mission in order for him to um, understand stuff. And I think that's the as a story, that's also one of the interesting angles or the more interesting angles. Lucy, we only have 30 seconds left in this review. And as the resident art historian and also as someone who hasn't been on the show in a little bit, I want to give you the final word. But I will say... I think both both of us experience in the very final sequence of this movie when we see <laughs> the the father and son looking up at Starry Night. You know, the, the it looks like Starry oh, yeah, Night, I and then then we see the self portrait of Vincent Van Gogh, and you hear and Don it, McLean's song. <laughs> no, oh, that song, Starry Starry <laughs> it's Night, it's so song, bad. But <laughs> well, it's a cliche, and it's just sort of fits Starry in Starry Night. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> Lucy, can we? Can you just give me your final word on this movie? Love it, hate it. Somewhere in between. Don't see don't this see movie. It. Don't see, see this Mr. Movie. Turner instead. Go oh, Mr. see Turner. Mr. Tur- Mr. Turner <laughs> is um, is really a, like that is an art historian's movie. But also, don't see this movie. But I encourage you go to uh, if you're in New Haven, go to the Yale University Art Gallery. There is a painting by Van Gogh himself, not an artist emulating Van Gogh. Stand in front of it for a while. Do some close looking. Well, that's the cafe, right? That is. The night cafe. The night cafe. All right. Well, that is as good a recommendation as any. Lucy and Alan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you here. Coming up next, a conversation about next week's Nasty Women film event. But first, let's hear a little bit of uh, an Ellison Jackson song called Man from Lowell. I'm cold and hungry, would you turn me away? And if I had no money, would you beg me to stay? Please tell me what you seek Please know that I am weak There's nothing but the sky above Forgotten my own name
Welcome back to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On the second segment of today's show, we'll be talking all about the Nasty Women Film Event, a night of feminist film screenings that will be taking place at the Eli Center of Contemporary Art on Trumbull Street on Election Day next Tuesday, November 7th, from 5 to 8 p.m. I didn't check if that's the right time. Does that sound right? Maybe a little bit later. Yeah, okay. Later. A little, some, somewhere around then, perhaps a little later. Uh, I'm joined in the studio by the events organizers, Lucy McClure, Trish Clark, and Debbie Hess. Lucy, Trish, Debbie, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for Thank having you. Us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Okay. So, um, Lucy, maybe this first question will go your way and we can uh, kind of go in a circle and see, see what everyone has to say. But uh, for people not familiar with this event already, um, what is the Nasty Women Film Event and, and how did this come to be? So the Nasty Women film uh, event has come about as an outgrown of the Nasty Women, our exhibition back in March at the Institute Library. Um, after, you know, all the events that we had, there was a need for to continue giving people a platform to continue to talk about, you know, how they've been feeling under the current administration. But this time we decided to utilize a motion picture and filmmaking as a way of, of inviting people to tell their story. Um, so back, so back in I think it was March or April, maybe b- between late March mm-hmm, and early mm-hmm. April, you held uh, you helped organize an event at the Institute Library's yes. uh, ground floor space on Chapel Street, in which you invited I think over a hundred artists. Right there, there were a we lot, had a lot oh, of uh, three hundred and fifty, three hundred and fifty artists. Okay, yes. <laughs> um, and and what what is it that they what, what was happening at that exhibition? What were they contributing? Uh, every artist was invited to submit a work of art, uh, and it, it didn't have to be only women. It was men, women, everybody, because it's about solidarity and uh, also kind of using the word, you know, being called as a nasty woman, as it, which it, to kind of say like, wow, you know, what does a nasty woman means? But women everywhere was being were being attacked, so we felt like we needed to come together and redefine that word and use it as like solidarity and men. Their allies of nasty women also joined us. Um, so this was in response to that infamous uh, third presidential debate between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, in which Trump referred to Hillary Clinton as a nasty woman. Uh, and there has been a kind of national and international movement uh, mm-hmm. that has come up in in the subsequent months and year uh, in response to taking ownership of that word nasty, right, and redefining it in a positive way. So Trish, I, we uh, ran into one another at the Eli Center mm-hmm. um, a few weeks ago in which yeah. you were doing interviews. You were uh, asking people what nasty meant to them and right. uh, presumably recording movies that are going to be played at uh, next Tuesday. I'm not quite sure what the final result of that project is, but well. maybe if you could <laughs> tell us about um, what, what you were doing at the Eli Center that day and, and what you heard from some of the men and women you spoke to about what, what nasty means well we um we were recording some interviews so to speak basically we were just doing quick little one one one-off questions of what does nasty women mean to you which had a wide variety of answers um and as well as you know have you been marginalized by any of the issues that we're going over and basically we did those on saturday and sunday of uh of that weekend of citywide open studios and uh, those will be, or some of the answers will be shown on the seventh, like kind of in the opening to kind of intro the whole screening of of the f- short films that we'll be showing. Um, and that was just a way to get some local people to have a little presence um, in this. And you know, Citywide Open Studios gets a wide range of people that come from all over to see 
the different works of art by the different artists around Connecticut. So we uh, we got some answers. I think one of the people was Lucy, who was just <laughs> who was just here. Right, Lucy Gelman, yes, Lucy McClure. Yes, but maybe I yeah, mean, we maybe, didn't ask ourselves <laughs> before we talking about any of the actual movie contributions. I wonder mm-hmm. if you each could share. Some kind of definition. If you were, uh, if Trish was interviewing you that Saturday, and you had to define what is a what does a nasty woman mean to you, um, what, in the context of this uh, this exhibition and now this film series, um, what what is a what is a nasty woman? Uh, maybe I'll start with uh, Debbie since uh, she hasn't spoken yet, and sure. then let's I, go in a circle. I, I think it's sort of um, you know turning around and the negative connotations to uh, the way it was originally used and making it more of a feminist kind of statement that is empowering for women. A positive term. Excellent, and I'm going to ask you to uh, nice up and close on the mic. Oh, just okay. so, perfect, but excellent. <laughs> and uh, so uh, a feminist uh, perspective on right. the term, right. uh, and definitely kind of re- reclaiming it. Ownership of it. Um, what What about you, Trish? What does uh, nasty um, woman mean to you? Well, for me, I I think it's similar uh, that you're reclaiming it, but saying you know, for me, it's just an empowered person and someone who will stand up for themselves and for others in whatever they're looking for like if you know for me production you know and obviously that's been a big topic lately of women in the production industry um so that's you know one topic that i particularly am very passionate about and hits me personally so um but as you said it just stems from the whole original debate of and and turning the word back around and being proud of it like you know i mean sometimes it's there's another word that people use that begins with a B that I probably can't say on air that people will say <laughs> it means the same thing. And I think both of them are we're turning them into badges of honor. Exactly. With them, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Is that how you see nasty women as well? Lucy, do you see it as a, a badge of honor? Yeah, I see. It's like, you know, it's funny how they they use that word as an attack. And, uh, you know, I think it's up to women to come together in solidarity for one another instead of using those words to attack each other and even take it as a personal attack. You know, it's like... Um, as the a, word as together. A, yeah, the word together. I mean, I think it's, this is the why this movement even started. And now it has become about not only women who, has been, who have been felt personally attacked, but also, you know, LGBTQ community, you know, immigrants, refugees. And uh, this is the reason why we're doing this film event is to give those groups as well a voice in because there are so many of us that have been feeling attacked uh under the current administration so in the original exhibition that you helped put on that you know there's different perspectives on nasty women manifest themselves in sculpture and paintings mm-hmm. and collages but here this is a, a film event in which you're specifically showing a, a night of, of short movies all around this theme of nasty women i don't know if there are specific entries that you can talk about that will be playing sure. or just generally you know what kinds of movies are you, are you looking to play on uh, on tuesday night we can also um, share a little bit well so we uh we opened up the submissions to being filmmakers from new england so we were kind of centric for our own neighborhood um and we asked that they you didn't have to be necessarily a female filmmaker or, you know, supporter of Nasty, but it had to be around the topics that Lucy was just saying, people that have been marginalized by this administration, like women's issues, uh, racism, immigration, refugee, and the LGBTQ. So um, we only had our submissions open for 
like maybe two months, which is, you know, in the film industry, unheard of. Like no one knew about this. No, you know, so it's, so the fact that we got, um, you know, fairly close to a hundred submissions is fantastic. Not all of them were from New England and not all of them met the, you know, the restrictions that we had put on. Um, but we, what we did get was uh, close to 20 fil- short films that we're going to show uh, next week that uh, some, some, shed a light on these topics in a funny way. Some are animated, some are very serious and poignant, and some are very artistic. So we have in our, you know, in our group of about 20 films, we have a nice uh, range showing. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're from like one minute to 10 minutes. So each one is, is fairly short. That was also a restriction just to be under 10 minutes. So you're not going to get bored. <laughs> and the I'm, screening will be a little over an hour. Is that what we're anticipating? Hour. For the films themselves, yes. but there's other stuff happening right. that night, too. Debbie is the representative of the, is it Eli Center or Ely? I, th- um, I think I may be mispronouncing it. I might also. Eli, Eli Center of Contemporary Art, which was has been known as the John Slade Eli House. Right, the John Slade Eli, right, on, on Trumbull Street uh, between Orange and, and Whitney. Yeah. Um, could you, t- as the representative of, of the, the host of this event, could you tell us a bit about, I don't know, how, how the Slade Ely um, became the host and, and why it's, I don't know, within the mission of of your uh, of of the museum you work at, or why you're interested in in putting on this kind of event? Sure, I mean I I've talked a lot with Lucy and and the, as a group we were looking for a place to hold it, and it did come up uh, last year. It wasn't a appropriate uh, location for the exhibition or large enough, but this year it seemed like a really good setting for the uh, film event, mm. and um, we started an artist in residency program for the first time, and. Uh, the group sort of applied to be um, one of the artist collectives in residence so we could sort of fold it into this month of um, activities going on and are utilizing two of the rooms for film screenings um, and lots of other events sort of around uh, the idea of the Nasty Women exhibition and a growing organization that's sort of moving from uh, New Nasty Women Con- uh, New Haven to Nasty Women Connecticut as it sort of expands and tries to... Um, embrace um the community in a lot of different ways well that you know i well first i want to say you're listening to deep focus on wnhhlp <laughs> new haven's home for community radio i'm your host tom breen and i'm talking with lucy mcclure trish clark and debbie Hess, the organizers of next next week's uh, nasty women film event at the john slade ely house on election day um lucy i don't want to leave the exhibition quite yet because that was the the source <laughs> that was the source of this uh, yeah. of this series and i think uh your um, you know, based on reading some previous independent and arts mm-hmm. paper articles about your involvement there, that was a you know one of your first kind of major political acts as an artist right. um, in response to the the rise of this kind of rampant misogyny mm-hmm. with Donald Trump. And I wonder if you know, as we're um, about a half year uh, you know past mm-hmm. when it when it started, as you reflect on the exhibition, I don't know what what did you learn from it? What what did you get out of it? Either that helps inform this film event, or just I don't know helps you understand uh, what feminist art is. I- well, you know, it's funny because I, like you've said, like I never had done something like that before. But as a mother, as an artist, as an immigrant, um, I felt that there was a need to do something. And uh, we're lucky to hit, to live in New Haven, which is such a strong community. You know, the arts thrive beautifully and that there was so much collaboration. And uh, I felt that during the exhibition, it only showed that there was a need for voices to be heard everywhere. And that there was a need for a platform to exist uh, where people felt included, especially, I mean, especially artists. 
um, I think as an artist, sometimes you wonder, how can I contribute? You know, how can I be relevant? How can I make change? And you can, you know, we really can. We all have that ability and uh, that opening show, you know, having 250 artists to come together, over a thousand people on opening night coming from all over the place. Uh, we had this amazing cross-generational feminism happening um, and that just people wanting to be heard, wanting to talk about it and wanting to come together and hope that we can make at least, uh, you know, in our own state, in our own city, things better. And uh, after that, we just couldn't stop. You know, people kept asking, oh, what's next? Uh, what are you guys doing next? What's Nasty Women doing next? Are you guys doing more? Or that was that. And uh, after thinking about it for so long, we say, you know, I think we, we should do something. And uh, that's why we came up with the, the film event. And uh, you know, we hope that this is only a part of what there's more to come. And we're going to continue. Um, I, I remember going to the opening of the event and it just being so alive with it. It was just packed, right? Mm-hmm. It was so exciting to have you know such a full art gallery in downtown New Haven. And uh, Trish and Debbie, I'm not sure if either of you uh, went to the exhibition during its time up, but based on, either if you did or based on what you've heard about it, um, what, what were your takeaways from that? What, what did, how did it, I don't know, help you understand what a nasty woman is or what, what feminist art is, is capable of? Then we go to Debbie first um, and then Trish. <laughs> it was just amazing to see that many people uh, just from all walks of life um, in one place in New Haven. It really felt like it was like the biggest event that has happened um, in the past year uh, for the community and it was bursting through the seams and it, it was really exciting. So it, it, it's great to be part of it as it you know, evolves into something else. And it is part of really a growing global movement. I mean, Nasty mm-hmm. Women is, is a global movement now, and there's events like this happening all over. Mm-hmm. So it is a way to connect to each other. I was out of town that weekend. <laughs> That's no so You're making up for it now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I saw all the pictures, and I saw how how great it was. And, um, and I think just the fact that that number of artists got together in and of itself is just a a fantastic reward um and you know and shows what needs to be done and kind of you know what what lucy had said like it's just the artists are uh, a big community of new haven of connecticut we you know new haven we are the arts capital of the state and um i think it shows and i think that's how we can get our voices is through and it really took on a life of the artists And there's so much support from the community. I mean, we've had, I mean, all this has been happening because we've been having support of, you know, Art Space, the Arts Council, the Eli House. I mean, everyone is supporting us. I mean, local business. And uh, because I think people feel that there is a need for this to happen. You know, we need to come together as community, as people. Um, and I think that's just something that we, we all have in common. So this this show is about movies specifically in New Haven, where we talk about um, not just any kind of art, but we really try to focus on um, you know what who, who in New Haven is working on movies, making movies, teaching about movies, what cinema is like capable of, and how you know anyone can derive uh, enjoyment and satisfaction and and kind of stimulation from watching movies. And Trish, arguably the most important story in like movies right now, is this just barrage of 
uh, men who sit at the top mm-hmm. of various production studios, uh, very important producers, directors, really starting with Hi- Harvey Weinstein a few weeks ago, but just mm-hmm. yesterday, Brett Ratner yeah. uh, was kind of outed by the Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, as perpetrating all of these just horrendous acts of sexual harassment and assault mm-hmm. against women who he p- promised you know, professional success to if they did X, Y, and Z. And I wonder, on the one hand, this is a very exciting time to be paying attention to movies as a feminist because mm-hmm. you see no longer... Perhaps is this you know behavior acceptable at at the top of um, these production studios? But on the flip side, we still do have Donald Trump as president, and so <laughs> so sexism is clearly still alive and well. But I wonder, as you know, as all of these you know very prominent filmic people are kind of being toppled because of their um, misbehavior and uh, kind of crimes committed against women in decades past, mm-hmm. I wonder how this story like affects you as someone who works in the movie industry, um, and also mm-hmm. as you think about you know, what you want to get out of the Nasty Women film event? Uh, Well, a lot of the things that are coming out now are things that people in the industry were all very well aware was happening. And, you know, the the term, the the casting couch, that, you know, in in film and video and even in stories has always been kind of like brushed aside, like, oh, that's that's just what happens. But that's because, you know they made it acceptable and that is actually what really happens um i hope it goes away i don't see it going away any you know really anytime soon because you know i mean here harvey being the biggest perpetrator that's being you know outed right now for all this and it's like you know i mean he's he's clearly not even conscious of what has what he's done what lives he's ruined um you know, to him, it's just, oh, I just pay somebody off and it's done. Right. You know, and then he just would do it again. So clearly, you know, nothing was being learned. And and so many people helped cover it up. And I mean, I think as we keep going, more and more is going to happen. More and more is going to be exposed. And hopefully, you know, the right thing will happen. And, um, you know, the people that have been doing things that are, you know, as you say, very rightly illegal, you know, and they should be in jail for, for how they've treated these these women. Um you know, hopefully things will get righted. It's a long, long path. Um, you know, and I mean, one way might be to write how the company is being, the country is being run right now by <laughs> someone who has definitely perpetrated all of these things as well. But that's a side note. No, but so I think you're right in that the contrition isn't there. I mean, these people aren't coming out and apologizing and recognizing uh, how they, in fact, have been in the wrong for decades. But there seems to be some kind of shift more broadly in the culture in terms of the shame that is Mm -hmm. um, put upon these men for their behavior and also the professional consequences. I mean, these people have been forced to to resign. Now, who you know, these are also fantastically wealthy people, so it's not like they will actually be hurting. But their their reputations, I think, have been uh, hopefully uh, like irrefutably tarnished but as lucy and debbie i I don't know if this is a story that you all have been keeping up with and i don't know if you think this makes for a particularly important time for the nasty nasty women film event or i don't know maybe it's always an important time to have a feminist film event i think it's always important but i i think that it's a really good time to use the um the platform of the film to to voice um ideas about these issues that are happening within the film industry so that's a really good opportunity yeah, I agree. Because also, the moment that you make things public, the moment that you talk about it, you're really forcing people to look it within themselves and look around them and see what's happening. And uh, the only way to change injustice is by doing something, by becoming active and taking a stand. You can either just uh, turn a blind eye 
and uh, expected that somebody else is going to do something. Or you could do something yourself. And that uh, we're not expecting some major grandiose like act uh, from people. We're expecting just uh, you see something that it's not okay, say it. You know, don't be afraid because not everyone has the ability to have a voice or stand up for themselves. So if you're able to do that, you should use it, whether it's for yourself or for someone else. And I should say this event isn't just a kind of consciousness raising event, but it's also a fundraiser for a few specific organizations. Right? Right. I wonder if you could share, I know Planned Parenthood is maybe at the top of the list, but <laughs> what are the organizations that you've identified that will kind of benefit from this event and, um, and why did you pick those? Uh, so it's uh, Planned Parenthood of Southern New England, Make the Road Connecticut, and uh, IRIS Immigrant and Refugee Services, because these are organizations, all three of them, that could be gone any moment. I, and I think it's important for people to understand what they do and uh, why we should support them. And uh, that's why we're inviting people on opening nights to also talk to people from those organizations so they can really uh, understand the impact that they do in our society for the good. And so is there an admission charge, or are you just going to be passing around a donations bucket, or... Do you know? <laughs> like, how are you? We'll, how we'll is money making? For it? People to donate to all three of the organizations. Mm-hmm. But is admission free? Yes. 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 Excellent. Great. <laughs> um, so uh, th- we are just about out of time. I, I'm so grateful to Lucy McClure, Trish Clark, and Debbie Hess for coming on to talk about the Nasty Women film event. I'll make sure to put a link to the Facebook page on the Deep Focus Radio website so we have the actual time. But it definitely it is on Tuesday, uh, mm-hmm. November 7th at the John, uh, formerly John Slade Eli House, now Eli Center for Election con- Day. Of Contemporary Art. Election Day. <laughs> Election Day. That's right. And, um, I'm not sure if the parking would be better or worse uh, because of that. But <laughs> there's a street parking in the area. So come on out. But congratulations on throwing this together in like no time at all. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the movies that you play. Awesome. Thank you Thank so you, Tom. Much. Thank yep. you, Tom. So you can find a complete archive of over two years of conversations about movies in New Haven at deepfocusradio.com. Uh, and we'll catch up with you next week for another episode about uh, movies and New Haven.